All right, we are in the uh, uh, middle of a series called uh, Deconstruct, and we're almost halfway through the book of Hebrews, believe it or not. We have begun this journey in February, and we'll finish it in May as we have been on this beautiful journey through the book of Hebrews. And if you're just jumping in on this, we call it Deconstruct uh, because what the book of Hebrews does is really kind of to a group of Hebrew people, people that knew who God was, uh, understood their connection to God, understood that there was a promise of a Savior coming, but yet had gotten caught up in such a religious system that they had almost missed out on Jesus coming, the Messiah, the one who fulfilled all of the promises of God, and they're having to reconstruct how they view faith, how they view God, how they view their connection with God. And I think many of our own culture are doing the same thing right now of of taking apart some things say why why do i believe this why do i believe this and then putting it back together to then grow a faith that's healthy and active and this is why we say the book of hebrews is a book of philosophy it's not a book of theology or prophecy or even just practice of what to do it answers the questions why why do we believe what we believe why do we do this and and this book is built off of these two primary tenets that build on this philosophy that Jesus is more indifferent than any other way that God has ever communicated or connected with us in past. So Jesus is more indifferent, but Jesus is then also the complete fulfillment of the promises of God. We're not waiting for something else. And this is, these are the two tent poles that you can, when you read any part of Hebrews, if you use these as your lens, it will help you understand better what's being said and why it is being said. And over the first few chapters of this book, we've been on this journey of understanding the the supremacy of Jesus compared to things like angels and other prophets and priests. We learned uh, that he is the source of salvation, a very simple salvation, uh, that he is also speaking to God on our behalf. He is for us. He was not just somebody who lived at a time and did a work. He is active in uh, mediating between us and God, of connecting us to God. And in doing so, he gives us rest from our rebellion, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago, this idea that we can either solve everything in our life ourselves or we look for another source of salvation. We can rest from that and trust that the work has been done completely. And then last week, we were on this journey of maturity and understanding that maturity is both this process and this finish line that we go through over and over again. As we mature, we discover new things, we then develop in our life, and then we disciple other people in those. We teach those out. And so there's a beautiful completeness to that, but then there's also a beautiful process that keeps going over and over again in our lives. And I would love to just, you know, hang out in all of that beauty of those first chapters for a while, because it's a beautiful story that plays out, right? You know, it's, it's this story from like no understanding to now growing and maturing in our faith. But that's not, this is all great stuff. But you know what? It seems like our world is still kind of messed up, right? If this was, if this has been happening for centuries, why isn't our world in a better place today than maybe it was 2,000 years ago? You know, but the truth is, it, it was also really messed up for the Hebrew people at the time that this was written to them. They were under Roman occupation. They were dispersed throughout the world. Their home, their culture was being minimized and neutralized. 
Eventually, there would be wars and rebellions to try to free themselves from this occupation. And historians tell us that their temple would be destroyed, that they would be driven from their land, their homes taken, and at one point, over one million Jews would lose their lives in this fight for freedom and for peace. So even though they're writing this in this beautiful story of salvation and maturity and growth, it did not save them from turmoil in the midst of their external circumstance. It actually, what they were about to face was, was a very dark period in the Hebrew culture, in the Hebrew history. These weren't easy days in which the writer were making these claims for Christ. These were days of uncertainty, hopelessness, and despair. Yet in chapter 6, where we're going to hit today, the writers are going to move us toward a new Jesus philosophy that gives us hope in the midst of whatever situation you're walking through. They're going to help us believe that there are even better things than peace and tranquility in our circumstances. There is something deeper than not having war, than no imprisonment, no turmoil can overcome, and that is hope. It's hope. So let's take a look at how you and I can experience the same anchor of hope that's going to be talked about in chapter 6. So in the first eight verses, they kind of, the writers kind of finish up this idea of maturity. They give us a little bit more about how we move on from simple thoughts onto more uh, deeper things that we talked about last week. And then in, in verse 9, they kind of take a shift to say, okay, like what we did last week, we said there was a pause button last week where we said, let's pause and make sure we know how to grow. And now they kind of take their finger off the pause button again and we start to move forward. And they say, as we move forward, you're going to need something. You're going to need something in your life that will help you no matter what's coming, no matter what you will face. You're going to need this and it is hope. And so in verse 9, they start to lay this foundation. So let's read verse 9, and then we'll hit some things out of this. It says, though we speak in this way, right? You can almost say this way is everything before this. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Now, when I, when I read something like that, I have to stop and go, what are these things that belong to salvation? What is this? And this is what he's going to hit in verse uh, 10. The writers are going to hit in verse 10, 11, and 12. So let's ask this question. What are these things? What, are, what do they say that we have to have as we move forward, as we take our hand off the pause button? That the, What are these things of salvation that belong to salvation and thus belong to how we should live and interact moving forward? And the first one we find is in verse 10, is the first thing that belongs to salvation is to serve with love. Verse 10 says this, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. They're, they're basically saying God's not overlooking what's happening. Even though you may be coming into some difficult circumstances or maybe right now you're in the midst of it, God has not overlooked that. He's not punishing you for something. He is actually helping. This will help sustain you through it. This is the idea that salvation changes how we respond. It changes how we respond. What belongs to salvation? Serving with love. It changes how we respond. This isn't just about doing some good deeds here and there throughout our week. Instead, it is about using love as a tool to deal with strife, conflict, and turmoil in our lives. It's how we do this. And I think God's given us some tools to do this 
And the first one, and this goes back to a series we taught early on a few months ago called, or maybe even a year ago now called The New Normal and How We Live Out. These are some of the tools. And the first one is humility. The first way that we can serve others. Sorry. Thank you, Siri. Uh, The first way that we can live out and serve in love is humility. And humility is simply this. It's realizing I'm not always right, nor do I always make the right choices. There's some situations in my life that I have caused pain in. But then there's there's another tool, and that's patience. And patience is simply understanding that others are not always right, and others will not always make the right choices. So if we can understand just these two things to begin with, some conflict, some turmoil in our life, some circumstances have been caused because I've made a bad decision or somebody else in my life has made a bad decision. We're not always right. We have to have humility to admit when we're wrong and patience to deal with it when other people are wrong. And then there's a response mechanism that we use in the midst of this. It's basically our weapon. It's our weapon that we get to use when we get in this conflict and turmoil, and it's simply this kindness. Kindness. Kindness is my ability to respond with grace in spite of either myself or what other people have been doing whether I've been wrong or the other person's been wrong. Kindness extinguishes hatred for myself, for others, and even for the situation. Kindness sometimes is not just, it's not doing something. Sometimes it's not doing something. Sometimes kindness is not saying a word of hurt in return or repaying evil with evil. Sometimes it is wishing good for those that have scorned you or hurt you. Other times, it is going out of your way to serve someone, to inspire, the, to inspire them to, to do good by doing good for them, even though they've done absolutely nothing in return, and you may get nothing in return. And why do we do this? Why is kindness, why is this the tool we should pull out? Because when we do this, it extends and expands the grace that has been shown to us, and it extinguishes hatred in our life and it allows us to bring peace into our world personally and externally this is why serving god is part of what it means to have salvation in your life to serve with love that means we belong to salvation this is not just some good that we do like now that we're christians we have to do good doing good as a christian actually brings peace in our life in the midst of turmoil it's a tool it's not a responsibility it's a tool But the second thing he says in verse 11 that belongs to salvation is that we should be assured with hope. Listen to verse 11. It says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. That you should have the full assurance of hope when until the end. This is the idea, this assurance of hope is the idea that salvation not only changes my response, but now it changes my outlook, how I look at things. We, we don't look at the world, the institutions of the world, the systems of the world. We don't look at worldly wealth, fame, and accomplishments as the source of our hope any longer. We don't. We, our view has changed. Because of salvation, we don't have a reason to lose hope. We have assurance until when? The very end. What does this look like? One, it starts by having a positive view of ourselves. They realize you were saved. You are valuable. God chose 
to sacrifice for you. You have value. You have been redeemed and reborn through the work of Christ. There's a positive view of yourself. It changes that a lot of times we lose hope because we have a negative view of who we are. I, I could never. I could, it was just negative, negative, negative. Having a positive view of self, realizing that you were chosen, redeemed, and reborn through the work of Christ is a different lens. We sure that allows hope to play out in our life. But also, it's just a positive view of life. That salvation has already come. It's not going to happen one day. It's already here. You have been saved, and you're experiencing it every day. There's hope for today, tomorrow, and really all of eternity. It plays out constantly in our life. Not based on circumstance, but based on a positive view of life, because hope is here. And then third, it gives us then a positive view of others, right? That there is no one beyond this hope of salvation. Even those who I have major conflict with, I should still have hope for them to experience the same grace and forgiveness that I have. So it changes how I view other people, which feeds into what? How I serve with love that we talked about earlier. It's this beautiful process. So assurance of hope, changing our outlook, negative to positive, positive view of ourself, this world, life, and others. But then there's a third thing that it gives us here, and it says that we should then be patient with faith. Verse 12 says, we do all this so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is the idea that salvation changes how we view difficulties and challenges in our life. Not, not just our response or our outlook, but how we actually view the actual difficulties and challenges that come into our life. The last part of this verse talks about how through faith and patience we will inherit the promises of God. Can I tell you something? I don't really need faith and patience when everything's going good. I don't. I don't need them when I've either created or, or insulated myself from the world in a place where I don't really have any harm or fear and I've kept those at bay. No, the promises of God are experienced in the difficult, even the most difficult times of our life. Faith and patience keep us moving through these times, right? Not becoming sluggish, bogged down in the difficulties of life. Instead of getting mired down in the difficulty and stopping moving, we use our faith and patience to move forward. I remember one time I was in college, a friend of mine, he was one of my pastors growing up. He had a, one of these Jeeps that had like the big tires lifted on it and everything. And we went, they, when we, this is when I lived in Georgia. We went what was called mudding. Anybody ever done that? Basically, you take a Jeep to the mud and drive around. That's, a, that's it. And uh, it had been a rainy a couple of days, and we were out, and we came up on this one uh, big thing, and we both looked at each other like, you know, do you think we can make it? And we're like, yeah. And we did, man. He hit that thing, and we were about halfway through this water, and then we went off this thing, and the Jeep just sank. I mean, like up to the doors in mud. And we, it started coming over, the, the edges and everything, and we're like, okay, we... We're, we're not moving this thing. We're going to have to go get help. But the problem was we were in the middle of this mud. And so, like, we had to get out. And we get out, and I'm, I'm up to here in mud. 
and I can't move. And so we, we like grab some sticks and then we, we, we trudge through this mud. We literally use it like, I feel like I'm like slow skiing through this mud with like these poles to move forward. And this is exactly how our lives feel sometimes. We get so deep in what we feel like is we just have lost hope. This mud is up to here and it's coming higher and we sluggish and we can't move. And God said, hold on, hold on. You know what you have? You have faith and patience. Just keep moving forward. Here's what faith is. Faith is a belief that there is a solution. And that solution is beyond myself. And it's often beyond what I can even see. There is a way out. And faith believes that as long as I keep moving, there will be hope that comes. And patience is the willingness to keep moving forward and wait on the timing of God to use this situation for the most impact in your life. It may feel like you're in the depths of the mud right now pushing forward, but faith is believing there is a solution and patience is saying, look, in the midst of this, God's going to do something amazing. He's growing something in me. He's changing something in me. So this is what it means when it says these are the things of salvation we should have, right? This, this assurance, this patience, this service with love toward others. But I love the, the last part of verse 12 because it, it says this. It says, we don't become sluggish, be imitators of those who through faith and patience, what? Inherit, inherit the promises. So that brings me to our second question today, then what are these promises that we inherit? And this is where we get to the true anchor of hope in our life. In verses 13 and 18, the writers tell us the source of these promises is God. This, aren't, this isn't some historical thing that, that God brought these promises to us. God is the ultimate authority, and it, he swears to these promises by his own authority, and, and God cannot lie, cannot speak ill. He does not speak evil. These are good things. That's what they say in 13 and 18, and then 19 basically encapsulates what these promises are. And verse 19 says this, For we have this as a sure and steady anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the interplace behind the curtain. And what I want you to see that this lays out here are three things that the promises that God is going to tell us, these will come true in your life. And the first one says that you need a, a sure and steady anchor. And here's what I can tell you. I promise, life is unpredictable. Life is going to be unpredictable. It's going to be. This passage tells us we need an anchor, one that is sure and steady. So it tells me that uncertainty will be the norm. That will be the norm in our life. Our goal isn't to live in a peaceful world, but to live at peace in a world that is broken and in turmoil. Our God isn't about creating comfortable circumstances for you, but instead he is about bringing you comfort in your circumstances. Too often we think that God's promises mean that my life will be easy, life is perfect, that there'll be no hardships or tumultuous waters to navigate, and the opposite is actually true. We wouldn't need any promises of God if everything was okay. No promises to, no, the promises allow us to follow, give us a deep, deep, sure, and steady anchor for even the most overwhelming of times. Life is unpredictable. I can promise you that. God is promising us that. It is unpredictable. Uncertainty will be the norm. But we have this anchor, which is what? The next promise. We have this anchor of the soul, which means peace is attainable. It's attainable. This is the second promise of God. Life is uncertainty, is uncertain, but peace is attainable. 
What is this anchor for? It says this anchor is for our very souls, our most internal nature and aspect of our being. This tells me that peace comes not through calm circumstances, but through an inward stability that we can reach and experience personally. When I, when I wait for the world or even my world to be at peace before I can experience internal peace, it will never come. There will never be peace in our world. That was the first promise, right? Life is tumultuous. But this is the promise. Although life is unpredictable, there and there will not be external peace, you can have an anchor for your soul that is sure and steady. You can have peace. How? Go back to what we just talked about a minute ago. Just start there with those, what are the parts of salvation that we should be using? Serving with love, being assured with hope, being patient in faith, allowing those things to actually play out in our salvation. Not just thinking that salvation is heaven one day, but that it is helping me in the cycle of moving through this mud and mire of my life. Peace is attainable in our souls. And then this brings us to the third when it says that there is hope that enters the inner peace is hope is sustainable. This is the third promise I want you to hold to. Life is unpredictable. Peace is attainable. But hope is sustainable in our life. This anchor is firmly attached to the bedrock of hope. A hope that is not and cannot be diminished or used up over time. It is sustainable because its sustainability is supernatural in origin, yet personal for me to experience. It's not something I came up with. It's not something our, even our church came up with. This supernatural sustainability of hope comes from God, our creator. When it says here that it is a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, the, the audience that he was writing to, the Hebrew audience, would have known exactly what the writers meant here. In their history, the high priest was the one who was ever allowed to go behind the, the curtain, the veil of the temple, into the Holy of Holies. And he would do so, and this Holy of Holies was known as the dwelling place of God. And he would go behind there to offer a sacrifice. And even if he would go behind, he had to be cleansed of his sin beforehand. And as he would go in, there would be a rope attached to his ankle so that if he went in and he had sin in his heart and God judged him and he died in there, they could drag him out. And bring him out. There was only one person who could go behind that veil, and this only happened once a year. But the hope that we have in Christ does the exact same thing. It covers for our sin. It takes us now into the holy of holies, into the presence of God. And now the presence of God dwells within us. And there we have a hope that never goes away. Forgiveness that can never be used up. Mercy that is new every morning. How can you experience this hope? How do you experience this promise? Allow Christ into the inner places of your life, behind the curtain. Stop keeping pieces of your heart, mind, and soul from him. Allow the salvation that he has given you to work itself out into every part of your life. Stop believing that you are here to change the world. Stop believing that you are here to have massive impact on the world, to make your mark, and instead learn that we are in this world so that Jesus can change us, can impact us, and can make his mark on our lives. We are not the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope. And the best way to share it with the world is to allow your life to be so saturated with that hope in the innermost part 
that it can't help but come out of you in whatever situation you face. Which brings us to our Jesus philosophy of the day that we want to hold on to. And it's simply this. Jesus is the only lasting source of hope in our lives. The only lasting source. You may have something else that gives you hope for a moment. You know, you might buy that lottery ticket thing and that 122 million is going to be yours. Have hope in that and then you lose. You wake up, you don't win, right? But Jesus is the only lasting source. Never diminishes. You don't wake up one morning and be gone or even be less. It's the only lasting hope. Which makes me ask myself this question. Where am I searching for hope instead of living out of the hope I already have? I spend so much of my life sometimes searching for more hope when I've been given all the hope that I need. I'm just not choosing to live out of it. Where does that hit you today? Which brings us to our opportunity to share communion together. And communion is a great way to celebrate hope, right? The promises of God. You probably in here right now experiencing all three of these promises, right? There is some unpredictability in your life right now. Life is unpredictable, no doubt about it. But maybe you need to experience this morning and remind yourself that peace can be attainable. And maybe as you take partake of uh, the bread and the juice, you are reminded that, that God, Jesus had made peace with you. He made peace between you and God, and it is attainable this morning. Or maybe you just need to remind yourself as you partake of this that hope is eternal. Hope is sustainable. It's there every day. And in a moment, I want to pray for us, and after that, I'm going to invite us down to come to the table. All Everybody can come down together. And I would encourage you, as you take this, maybe somebody that you're with or somebody grab somebody around, uh, just groups of three or four, and you might say, which promise do, am I, am, do I need to hold on to this morning? Uh, I need to realize life's unpredictable. I've been trying to make my life perfect forever. And I got, I got to give up that dream and realize the promise is life is going to be unpredictable. Let that go. Or maybe you need to hold on to that peace and re be reminded of the peace of God this morning. Or maybe you need to have a fresh outlook and be reminded of the beautiful hope and the promise of God with that. So let me pray for us and then I invite us to come and share at the table together. God, thank you for your promises. God, even, even the promise that life is unpredictable, that, that actually gives me peace when I think about it, Father, because it takes the burden off of my shoulders to try to solve every problem and instead trust in you and to grow an internal peace and to live out a hope that impacts other people versus trying to be the hope of the world myself. So God, as we come to celebrate and remember you this morning, may we remember these promises. May we hold true to them. May we let them be that anchor for our soul that is sure and steady. So God, we, we come to remember you. We come to celebrate you this morning, the work of Christ in our lives and in this world. And thank you for inviting us to be a part of it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.